Hello, thank you for joining me on Humanities Radio. I'm Jana Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities, and today we're talking about Black History Month, its origin, its purpose, and why Black history is American history. Eric Herstall, Assistant Professor of History, is with me to discuss more. So each February, we celebrate we celebrate Black History Month. So let's just begin with the origins of Black History Month. When and how did it begin? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the uh, the month actually has a has a wonderful uh, history, a really powerful history, and it begins uh, with generally we start with one uh, individual in particular, though it was uh, quickly sort of embraced and took a life of its own within Black communities. Uh, but that one person is Carter G. Woodson. Uh, he was the second African-American to earn a Ph.D. after more, his more famous colleague, W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, sorry, a Ph.D. in history from Harvard, uh, the second uh, black American to earn that degree. And he uh, it basically he, he gets his Ph.D. in 1912. Uh, and three years later, um, the African-American community, keep in mind, this is roughly a half century, not 50 years after the end of slavery. So already for 50 odd years uh, within the black or within black communities uh, across the nation, there had been celebration uh, of the end of emancipation, um, usually in February. Again, it was a very grassroots thing. And it was February, uh, these emancipation holidays, because uh, that was the birthday of both Abraham Lincoln, the president who famously uh, was sort of instrumental in, uh, in emancipation, as well as Frederick Douglass. Anyway, so he's at one of these sort of celebrations of, of sort of black, uh, you know, sort of black uh, intellectuals and family and friends in Chicago. And he has the idea to create a kind of more rigorous scientific study or intellectual uh, community to study black history, to make it not simply a community event. He goes on to found uh, what is today the most prominent uh, organization for uh, the academic study of black history or African-American history more specifically. It's called the associate today it's called the Association for the Study uh, of African American Life and, and History, ASALA. Uh, and it's this organization that's founded, I believe it's in 1916. Um, and then within a decade, uh, he finally gets, uh, you know, part of that was to get kind of black scholars who were, of course, for the most part, denied access to teaching in, in white universities because of Jim Crow. Uh, but this was going to be a kind of separate uh, institution that black people and black intellectuals were going to use to sort of legitimate black history with as many sort of um, trained or even untrained black historians. So this solid organization still alive today, the publisher of the premier uh, journal of African-American history. Um, within By 20, 1926, they established uh, a black history week. It was actually called Negro Achievement Week. Uh, and the basic principle was pretty simple and, and in a way, what African, uh, what black history today still, at least in part, is about, which is to say, giving black children and black adult continuing learners uh, an opportunity to learn their own history uh, in a way that isn't demeaning or simply ignored in mainstream institutions. Uh, but over the course of, uh, you know, this is 1926, right? This is the Harlem Renaissance. There's a sort of explosion of black people moving to the north and all this cultural creativity. And this holiday quickly explodes. And it's really a grassroots holiday. Um, and very quickly, you know, um, a solid, the organization that he founds, 
with the help uh, by the 1930s of uh, a famous black woman educator, Mary McLeod, Mary McLeod Bethune. They begin to sort of print, uh, print popular materials so that anybody, even not PhD or college level, uh, can really teach black history to children as a kind of empowering story. And then the real end of it, uh, or the real, the kind of modern iteration, and this is where I'll end it, uh, is, you know, Woodson dies in, in 1950. Um, but of course, the civil rights movement uh, explodes, uh, becomes a kind of street-oriented protest in the 1950s. Uh, there's all this sort of, uh, you know, black consciousness. By the end of the 60s, we're having a kind of black power, a more kind of defiant, militant, and sort of prideful uh, black activist movement. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's calls to expand it. Black student act activists on campus expanded to a month. And then finally, Asala, uh, this organization, uh, is instrumental in pushing actually the Ford, a Republican, you know, Nixon's successor, uh, to sort of issue a formal proclamation to just honor. There's no, it's not an official holiday, but just to formally honor a proclamation uh, this Black History Month. Uh, and every single president uh, since Ford, Republican and uh, and conservative, I'm uh, sorry, Republican and Democrat has sort of issued a formal uh, proclamation honoring February as the month of Black History Month. So since the beginning of, you know, it, with the Black History Week, now that it's Black History Month, how has the observance of Black History Month changed? I imagine, as you had mentioned, the civil rights movement, there has been so much change in our country. How have historians and teachers approached incorporating Black history, Black experience into history courses? Because I imagine it's just co constantly changing. And how are they incorporating it now? Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful question. You know, uh, there isn't any single answer. Um, to my knowledge, there isn't much extensive study on Black History Month, at least from the scholarship that I know in a kind of, you know, tracing at what you're asking change over time. Um, but there certainly is, uh, thinking about this question of pattern, that even Carter G. Woodson, you know, he witnessed 25 years of it. He dies in 1950. Um, he was very aware that as, this, as Black communities um, were sort of taking hold of this holiday and making it their own across the country, he's worried that, you know, there are many charlatans that he would call, you know, people who are basically cashing in, don't really know anything, you know. Black teachers are asking, you know, keep in mind, for the most part, North and South, right? And segregation was legal in the South, but it was de facto in the North. And, you know, where um, so many black, you know, predominantly, overwhelmingly black schools, uh, black teachers are taking it upon themselves to kind of use this month to sort of highlight um, black figures, uh, black leaders uh, throughout uh, American history. And, of course, there were char charlatans, people who didn't really know much, who were kind of self-stylized experts. Um, and this speaks more broadly to a kind of commercialization of the holiday. Uh, this was something that happened uh, during Carter Woodson. He wanted to root it out. That's why uh, with, with Mary um, McLeod Bethune, a black uh, woman educator, they kind of issue a sala, a formal popular kind of bulletin every year um, that if you want to do it the way a sala wants you to do it, uh, then these are the themes and these are some things to discuss with your students or children or what have you. Um, and that, of course, we're still seeing today. Uh, you know, you can listen to any, you know, there's this concern that, you know, either A, it's, too, it's almost too popular. You know, you can hear if you're listening to podcasts or radio hosts or talking to your black, you know, friends or even family members, you know, this sense in which it's kind of gone beyond the black community and sort of, you know, rhetorically, everybody pays lip service to it. 
uh, but it ceases to be a, a sort of central element of, uh, of, of black families. Of course, it is a central element of many black families and black communities uh, uh, still very much embrace it. Uh, but it's this, this kind of commercialization um, that is, is maybe one of the negative sides, this way in which it's moved beyond uh, the black community and becomes something that everybody just kind of, again, pays deference to. Um, but maybe I'll just answer and just one other point to how about the change. And I think, you know, amongst people, maybe the best way is, you know, there are many wonderful high school and even middle school teachers to say nothing of educated parents, librarians, um, who keep abreast of really good scholarship that isn't locked up in journals, but, you know, scholars who write for the public. And there's no shortage of that today. Um, and one of the major really shifts, I guess, to what I'm saying in how academics talk about uh, black history um, is in the 1970s. And that is to say, you know, in the wake on the heels uh, or really as bl the black power movement and this kind of more militant defiant tone uh, is being defined, many uh, scholar activists, and I'm thinking of one in particular, uh, Vincent Harding says, um, we need to stop telling black history. He's speaking to in Atlanta to a kind of international, you know, activist scholar, uh, scholarship uh, symposium, Vincent Harding, who is an ally of, of MLK, a little bit more radical than MLK. Um, and he's basically saying, look, uh, we need to stop teaching black history, not black history month, but it's simply how we talk about black history as simply a contributionist history, which is how the old, he would say, the old scholars did it, you know, show black people, um, that they too can be great, that they too can contribute to this American story. And rather what uh, uh, Vincent Harding is arguing for in this symposium is saying, we need to sort of um, not simply put more black faces into an unchanged, basically good American story. We need to make sure that black history ultimately challenges the story of American history. This idea that it has always been innocent, that it has always been, or at least sort of overcoming the better, uh, um, the better, it's better angels. Uh, and, and really the proper black history, if it's doing itself properly, uh, if it's, be, if it's done properly, according to Harding, uh, Harding is again, it should challenge, it should expose, um, uh, some of the flaws and weaknesses and use that ultimately not to deny that America is necessarily a good or evil thing, but really to sort of, um, hold its feet to the fire a little bit. Um, and I think this is a shift that we see, um, you know, uh, again, there are many scholars who and journalists who write, you know, kind of just positive pieces about the first black astronaut. And, you know, that's all well and good. Um, but I think, you know, the mission of African-American uh, history, uh, uh, history um, and it's not the only one, has also been to really challenge uh, some of these founding ideals and perhaps even to show how it was black activists, black communities themselves who have really reshaped and redefined, you know, the meaning of American democracy, the meaning of citizenship, uh, rather than simply, you know, another face who contributed to an essentially, you know, implicitly white European story. So that's actually something I would like to elaborate on just a little bit. Because uh, one point I really want to discuss is that, you know, we can't fully understand the complex history of this country without including the black perspective. Black history is American history. And like you said, we have to incorporate them together to tell a more holistic story of our country and a more real story of our country. So how can it be better integrated into everyday learning to create that more holistic understanding for especially for students as they're going through school? 
Um, you know, again, I, you know, I, I teach, um, at the college level. So I, I really wouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm wary of kind of imposing how, a, how even a high school, which is not that different from, you know, an entry level college, uh, uh, course, uh, is probably teaching history. Um, so I'm wary. I mean, I'll, I'll leave it up to the much more skilled, you know, high school K through 12 to decide how they implement these changes. Although there are, and, you know, I, I know wonderful resources available, um, uh, in terms of, you know, how to I- incorporate, there's a wonderful uh, series, I'll just maybe a, a little plug, um, uh, what's it called? The, um, I'm blocking on the organization, but it's a series of podcasts and a website called Hard History. It's edited by a, uh, an African-American historian at OSU, um, uh, Hassan Jeffries. And it's all about, it's podcast scholars teaching uh, how to teach these hard subjects, whether it's the civil rights movement or really more challenging, the black power movement. Uh, or certainly slavery, uh, and how to incorporate. So that's a wonderful resource that teachers can use. It's cutting edge. Uh, it's wonderful and it's geared towards public educators, K-12, and even college. Um, but more specifically, how can we integrate? I think the key thing, uh, and I actually got this um, from a scholar of mine, just the way that she phrased it. She was talking about gender history, uh, but I think it's broadly true for Black history or any kind of marginalized group in kind of a standard or traditional version of American history. And that is to say, don't carve off black history uh, as one week uh, in a syllabus, right? Let's say you're teaching, you know, the U.S. history survey, a high school course on on history, right? You don't carve off, you know, a black, uh, you know, one week for the black experience. But throughout the course, you're thinking about how is this affecting and more importantly, how are black communities in all their diversity responding. And there is, you know, so in other words, what are the, you know, classic sort of keywords in American history? Democracy, freedom, citizenship, right? So any course, if you're tracing how uh, the idea of democracy changes over time from the founding, let's say, to the present, throughout, if that's the kind of through line that you're going to track, well, throughout, you would be wanting to look at um, you know, not only, you know, white people, but rich and poor, male and female, black people, also women and female, upper class versus recently, or, you know, there is an, you know, a free black community, which would be, you know, an upper class, um, as well as poor black people. Um, so you, so you sort of are, are conscientious throughout the entire narrative uh, of your broader telling to be thinking about how black people are both affected by and contributing or challenging uh, these ideals. And of course, we should do that across communities, right? About, you know, major problems that we have in our society in terms of how we don't deal with them, uh, which is to say anti, you know, Latino groups, uh, gender inequality, uh, class exploitation, um, you know, we not, and, and, and even just simple ideological difference, conservative and liberal. Um, I think, uh, you know, a, a good teacher is conscientious of these divisions and really has to work uh, and find space for them throughout all the kind of development of their courses, not pigeonhole it for a week or even a month. So as you're teaching college students, um, when they arrive into your course, are there stories, uh, lessons that are critical lessons that they have missed out on? And you're surprised when they come into your course and when they come into college that they haven't learned in in school yet? You know, uh, it's a great question, and I can't, you know, I, I think there's a general assumption, uh, and this may be amongst faculty who are slightly older and, and haven't been as connected uh, to, um, you know, to how education is happening now. I mean, I'm not terribly old, but I can tell you that 
and this is a Utah, which is, you know, has a reputation. I mean, it is a conservative state. But even then, um, I am not, you know, the narrative that slavery was central to American history, that was negative, that, you know, uh, that, you know, that the country was, you know, uh, you know, the elimination in one way or another of indigenous people. I mean, this is not a surprise to them. Um, but there's often it's a superficial story. Right. And it's often I should also say a story of what was done to these communities rather than what these communities themselves have done for themselves and unquestionably with their allies. Uh, I'm sorry, with their white allies in particular. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, you, we can talk about, let's say, um, I'm trying to think of an example uh, off the top of my head. Um, uh, so there's, so I'll, I'll just use that as a principle and then maybe as one example, uh, a really useful and, and in this, and these days, uh, not terribly, um, uh, novel. And that is, you know, even approaching these traditional topics when you are dealing with the 1960s and the civil rights movement, right? So we all know, uh, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. Uh, but in the past decade, at the very least, uh, I mean, there have been wonderful changes. I mean, scholars have been pushing back about focusing on what some historians call the grass tops versus the grassroots. By grass tops, I mean leaders of social movements like Martin Luther King. And instead, there's been a push since at least the 80s to focus on, you know, ground level organizing, all the faces that you never saw, that never were called before Congress. Uh, so there's that. Um, and again, much books about this. But the other thing, um, there are two other things. One is to show that, look, the civil rights movement wasn't this little bitty phase from the 50s to the 60s. This was uh, part of a larger uh, story of black resistance that, depending on how far back you go, starts at least in the 1920s. Let's start with the Harlem Renaissance and this kind of, you know, this, this assertion of black equality, trying to challenge even in the North racial discrimination. Uh, and it is much longer than the story of Brown v. Board and the marches in the 1960s. Uh, and related to that is this idea that we shouldn't simply be talking about a civil rights movement, but to understand even how that language, the civil rights, uh, the civil rights movement became the language. And this is actually uh, an interesting little story. And that is to say the civil rights movement uh, was an attempt by more moderate black leaders in the 1950s to really reframe what had been a diverse expansion and radical. By that, I mean, allying with, you know, the overthrow of, of European colonialism, uh, some black people allying with communism in the 1960s, in the 19, uh, uh, in the late 1920s and early 1930s. Um, but because, uh, you know, America after the war is fighting, uh, immediately enters this cold war where communism is bad and you, know, you don't tax American ideals, all of a sudden black moderate leaders, mainly in the more moderate organization, the NAACP, say, hey, we need to reframe our struggle and only focus it around American ideals of civil rights. And more importantly, only target uh, the official, the most egregious form of uh, anti-democratic practice, which is legal segregation in the South. This is, of course, very different from what black activists, and we will see it uh, bubble up as soon as the major desegregation laws are passed in the mid-1960s, that the black freedom struggle, we would say, uh, is pushed all the way to the north immediately. That is to say, they are fighting the less obvious forms of discrimination in terms of housing uh, discrimination, job employment, uh, economic uh, equality. And black people, of course, um, never really uh, disassociated all these forms of, of discrimination, but it became a very, you know, 
uh, politically useful to narrow the focus onto legal uh, segregation in the midst of a Cold War where America didn't want to look bad. Um, uh, so, you know, even knowing how we why we talk about, you know, a black, I'm sorry, a civil rights movement and not the black freedom struggle uh, is itself kind of, um, you know, kind of a telling little story. Eric, I really appreciate your time on this thoughtful conversation today. It's incredibly important. I'm sure people have really learned a lot. Before we move on, can you tell our listeners what uh, courses you teach? Absolutely. Um, so currently I'm teaching uh, my, my specialty, uh, at, you know, as it relates to African-American history, is the history of slavery and abolition. Um, so, of course, you uh, next uh, in the uh, in the coming academic year, I'll be teaching um, at least one, possibly two courses on the history uh, of slavery. Um, and another course that I uh, will likely be teaching next year, uh, my next project uh, that I'm just getting started is about slavery and the origins of climate change. Uh, so I'll be teaching an upper level course, uh, a history of race and the environment, which will deal not exclusively with uh, black people's engagement with the environment, but uh, black people will have a large uh, part to play in that course. And I should say that all of my courses, my U.S. history survey, as well as history 1700, uh, black people and the black experience is a central part uh, of that general American history. That was Eric Hirschdahl, assistant professor of history. For more information about the College of Humanities, please visit humanities.utah.edu.